Section 41 of 93 by Victor Hugo, translated by Aline Delano. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3, Book 2, Chapter 6 A Healed Breast, But a Bleeding Heart. A gash is quickly healed, but there was elsewhere one more seriously wounded than Simordan. This was the woman who had been shot, and whom the beggar Talmarch had rescued from the great pool of blood at the farm Erbonpeil. Michel Flachard was in a more critical condition than Telmarch had supposed. There was a wound in the shoulder-blade corresponding to that above her breast. One ball had broken her collarbone, while another had entered her shoulder. But as the lung was uninjured, she might recover. Telmarch was what in peasant language is called a philosopher, that is to say, a combination of doctor, surgeon, and wizard. Upon the bed of seaweed in his underground den he nursed the wounded woman, using those mysterious remedies called simples and thanks to his care she lived. The collarbone knitted together, the wounds in the breast and the shoulder closed, and after a few weeks the wounded woman became convalescent. One morning she was able to walk out of the carnichot, leaning on Telmarch. She seated herself under the trees in the sun. Telmarch knew very little about her, for a wound in the breast necessitates silence, and during the death-like agony which preceded her recovery she had hardly spoken a word. Whenever she seemed about to open her lips, Talmarch would prevent her, but he could not control her thoughts, and he observed by the expression in her eyes the heart-rending nature of her ever-recurring fancies. This morning she felt strong, and could almost walk alone. The doctor who has cured his patient enjoys a sense of fatherhood, and as he watched her, Talmarch felt happy. The good old man began to smile as he addressed her. Well, it seems we are up, our wounds are healed. All but those of the heart. And presently she added, Then you don't know where they are. Whom do you mean? asked Delmarch. My children. The word then revealed a whole world of meaning. It seemed to say, Since you do not speak of them to me, since you have been with me for so many days without opening your lips to me on the subject, since you silence me every time I try to speak, since you seem to fear that I am going to talk about them, it must mean that you have nothing to tell me. During the course of her fever, she had often noticed that whenever, in her delirious ramblings, she had called for her children, the perceptions of delirium are sometimes acute, the old man would make no reply. The truth was that Telmarch did not know what to tell her. It is not easy to speak to a mother of her lost children. And besides, what did he know? Nothing at all, in fact. That a mother had been shot, that he had found this mother on the ground, that when he had lifted her up she was nearly dead, that this dying woman had three children, and lastly that the Marquis de Lantenac, after ordering the mother to be shot, had carried away the children. And here his information ceased. What had become of the children? Were they still living? Having made inquiries, he had learned that there were two boys and a little girl barely weaned, and this was the extent of his knowledge. He asked himself more questions than he could answer in regard to this unhappy family, but the neighbors whom he had asked only shook their heads. Monseigneur de Lantenac was a man of whom no one cared to talk. They were equally reluctant either to speak about Lantenac or to talk to Telmarch. Peasants have their own peculiar superstitions. They disliked Telmarch. Telmarch the Caimande was a perplexing man. Why was he always looking up at the sky? What was he doing? What could he be thinking about when he stood motionless for hours at a time? Surely he must be a very odd sort of man. While the district was in a state of combustion and conflagration, 
when warfare, devastation, and carnage were the sole occupations of life, when every man was doing his best to burn houses, murder families, massacre outposts, and plunder villages, thinking of nothing but setting ambushes and traps and killing one another, here was this hermit absorbed in nature, enjoying absolute peace of mind, gathering plants and herbs, interested only in flowers, birds, and stars. Of course he was a dangerous character. He must be insane. He never hid behind a bush to fire at his fellow men. The man is mad, said the passers-by. Hence he inspired a certain awe, and men avoided him, thus increasing the isolation of his life. They asked him no questions, and seldom vouchsafed replies. Therefore he had been unable to get the information he wanted. The conflict had been transferred to other districts, and the fighting was more remote. The Marquis de Lantanac had vanished from the horizon, and war must set its foot on a man of Telmarch's character before he becomes aware of its existence. After hearing these words, My children! Telmarch ceased to smile, and the mother sank into deep thought. What was passing in her soul? She seemed to have plunged into the depths. Suddenly she looked up at Telmarch and repeated her demand almost angrily. My children! Telmarch bent his head like a culprit. He was thinking of the Marquis de Lantanac, who, so far from returning his thought, had probably forgotten his very existence. He realized the fact as he said to himself, when a nobleman is in danger, he reckons you among his acquaintance, but let the danger pass, and he forgets that he ever saw you. And he asked himself, Why then did I save him? To which question he made reply, Because he was a man. For some moments he dwelt upon this thought. Then he resumed the thread of his meditations. Am I sure of this? And presently he repeated those bitter words. Had I but known. This whole experience gave him a sense of oppression, for his own action in the affair was enigmatical to him. His thoughts were sad, since a sense of guilt had crept into them. A kindly act may prove in the end to have been an evil one. He who saves the wolf kills the sheep. He who sets the vulture's wing is responsible for his talons. The unreasoning anger of this mother was therefore justified. Still, he felt a certain consolation in the knowledge that he had saved the mother, which partly balanced his regret for having saved the Marquis. But the children? The mother was also thinking. And these two currents of thoughts moved side by side, perhaps to mingle unawares in the shadowy land of reverie. Meanwhile her eyes, gloomy as the night, rested again on Telmarch. We cannot go on like this, she said. Hush rejoined Telmarch, putting his finger on his lips. She continued, I am angry with you for saving me. You did wrong. I would rather have died, for then I should surely see them and know where they are. They would not see me, but I should be near them. The dead must have power to protect. He took her by the arm and felt her pulse. You must calm yourself, or you will have a relapse. She asked him almost harshly, when can I go away? Go away? Yes. When shall I be fit for tramping? Never, if you are unreasonable. Tomorrow, if you are good. What do you call being good? Trusting in God. God? What has he done with my children? She seemed to be wandering. Her voice had grown very gentle. You must see, she went on to say that I cannot stay like this. You never had any children, but I am a mother. That makes a difference. 
One cannot judge of a thing unless he knows what it is like. Did you ever have any children? No, replied Talmarch. But I have. Can I live without my children? I should like to be told why my children are not here. Something is happening, but what it is I cannot understand. Come, said Talmarch, you are feverish again. You mustn't talk any more. She looked at him and was silent, and from that day she kept silence again. This implicit obedience was more than Telmarch desired. She spent hour after hour crouching at the foot of the old tree like one stupefied. She pondered in silence, that refuge of simple souls who have sounded the gloomy depths of woe. She seemed to give up trying to understand. After a certain point, despair becomes unintelligible to the despairing. As Telmarch watched her, his sympathy increased. The sight of her suffering excited in this old man thoughts such as a woman might have known. She may close her lips, he said to himself, but her eyes will speak, and I see what ails her. She has but one idea. She cannot be resigned to the thought that she is no longer a mother. Her mind dwells constantly on the image of her youngest, whom she was nursing not long ago. How charming it must be to feel a tiny, rosy mouth drawing one's soul from out one's body, feeding its own little life on the life of its mother. He, too, was silent, realizing the impotence of speech in the presence of such sorrow. There is something really terrible in the silence of an unchanging thought. And how can one expect that a mother will listen to reason? Maternity sees but one side. It is useless to argue with it. One sublime characteristic of a mother is her resemblance to a wild animal. The maternal instinct is divine animalism. The mother ceases to be a woman. She becomes a female, and her children are her cubs. Hence we find in the mother something above reason, and at the same time below it, a something which we call instinct. Guided as she is by the infinite and mysterious will of the universe, her very blindness is charged with penetration. However anxious to make this unfortunate woman speak, Telmarch could not succeed. One day he said to her, Unfortunately, I am old and can no longer walk. My strength is exhausted before I reach my journey's end. I would go with you, only that my legs give out in about fifteen minutes and I have to stop and rest. However, it may be just as well for you that I cannot walk far, as my company might be more dangerous than useful. Here I am tolerated. But the blues suspect me because I am a peasant, and the peasants because they believe me to be a wizard. He waited for an answer, but she did not even raise her eyes. A fixed idea ends either in madness or heroism. But what heroism can be expected from a poor peasant woman? None whatever. She can be a mother, and that is all. Each day she grew more and more absorbed in her reverie. Telmarch was watching her. He tried to keep her busy. He bought her needles, thread, and a thimble, and to the delight of the poor Caimond, she really began to busy herself with sewing. She still dreamed, it is true, but she worked also, a sure sign of health, and by degrees her strength returned. She mended her underwear, her dress and her shoes, her eyes all the while preserving a strange, faraway look. 
As she sewed, she hummed to herself unintelligible songs. She would mutter names, probably children's names, but not distinctly enough for Telmarch to understand. Sometimes she paused and listened to the birds, as though she expected a message from them. She watched the weather, and he could see her lips move as she talked to herself in a low voice. She had made a bag and filled it with chestnuts, and one morning Telmarch found her gazing vaguely into the depths of the forest, and he saw that she was all ready to start. "'Where are you going?' he asked. And she replied, "'I am going to look for them.' He made no effort to detain her. End of section 41